We'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about finding cell phones, my finding of cell phones, uh, as we get a little deeper into uh, our sermon today. But before I get into today's threshold of seeking, I want to sort of walk us through some of the progression of how we've gotten to this place. Way back in February, we started this series on godly hospitality. And what we were seeking to say is that first and foremost, God welcomes you. That's it. And in the scriptures, over and over and over again, this picture that we see actually is, is God setting a table for us to, to signify and recognize how God has included us in his plan and in his family and as a result, because of how we've already been welcomed, we are now called and invited to, to live a life of hospitality, look, hospitality looking outward at those people who cross our paths, regardless of whatever's happening with them or their circumstances, to simply welcome people, especially to our table, as a sign and a reminder of what God has first done for us. And since Easter then, we've taken that idea and we've stretched it a little further and said, you know, everyone that you welcome to your table, especially those who are still not yet have said yes to Jesus, there are some thresholds they need to cross to find themselves surprisingly in the company of the Lord. There's some thresholds they need to, to step across on their journey towards the Lord. This idea comes from this book um, printed by I.V. I once was, lo once was lost by Don Everts and uh, Doug Schaup, or Schaup. And they go through these five thresholds, and our preachers have sought to take the opening thresholds and, and speak and preach to it into, into our lives, what we're doing. And I would recommend the book because what the preachers have done, including myself, is we've taken that as a good, important launching point. But the content in the book has mostly remained untouched. As thoughtful as a way to think about the ways we see the people who are crossing our paths and in our midst and working right next to us and in our families. And before we talk about today's fourth threshold, I want to just go over all five of them in uh, quick succession. The first threshold that we uh, worked together on was the day after, right after, the Sunday right after Easter, and that's this threshold of going from distrust to trust. And their experience, Don Everts um, and Doug, they, they were here in ministry in Boulder as they wrote that book. And in their experience, what they found as they were working with students and with grad students is the very first thing that needs to happen in someone's life is they need to find a, a Christian that they can actually trust. They need to be willing to step over that threshold and, and find themselves in some sort of a relational friendship with another, or with, rather, a Christian. They move from skepticism, maybe open hostility. Maybe that's hostility because of our, our, the Christian witness in the world. Distill that down into a friendship with maybe just one Christian. And if they do that, the next threshold, they propose that these are successive in order, and they can happen quickly or over long, long, long stretches of time. But once they find themselves trusting a Christian, the next thing that happens is they go from indifferent to curious. It might be that you actually uh, 
if you are a Christian, you've, you've been in a relationship maybe with people who don't know Jesus, not interested in Jesus for years. And you go fly fishing together, you raise kids together, you talk about how bad the dandelions are this year, whatever it is, for years and years and years, but they're totally indifferent to this part of your life. And for reasons that we can't always anticipate and can't always predict, they, they find themselves all of a sudden sort of taking notice. Their curiosity is sparked by something they've seen in you that seems sort of maybe countercultural to what they might expect from others. Then last week, Dave uh, preached on being from, going from closed to change to open to change. And he talked specifically about the environment that's necessary to, to make that happen and to have change flourish in someone's life. Because it's possible that someone might be curious in sort of an, an intellectual way, but they just don't see how it is that following Jesus applies to them personally. In fact, they're maybe even sure that it doesn't. But eventually something happens, something helps them to cross that threshold when they realize maybe Maybe this Christian story applies to them. Maybe it's more than just some ancient mythology. Maybe God is real. Maybe it's about them. The fourth one is one we'll be talking about today. is when people move from sort of meandering, kind of just wondering, sort of in a spiritual fog of possibility into actually seeking to understand Jesus. We'll talk more about this for the rest of the sermon. And then finally, that last threshold is when we lead our own life to when we hand the keys over to the Lord and we are His follower. And what I've loved about this series and what I've loved about this book is every single one we know, everyone in this room is in some way, even as a Jesus follower, you're, you're probably still in some way cycling back to one of these things. Everyone whose path we cross, they're somehow in the middle of all that. What's great about that is it just lets us be friends with them. We're not in charge of the thresholds. We're not. That's not our responsibility. And it, it lets us sort of just be in relationship with them, to, to offer hospitality and friendship and let God do the work that God's going to do. So today we're going to be looking especially at this threshold of seeking. But before I do that, let's just pray, shall we? I'm, I'm sorry that I, I forgot till this moment. Let's, let's pray together. Gracious Holy God, thank you for bringing us here. And we've brought a whole bunch of baggage into this room with us. And I'm reminded as we start that you promise that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So while these things may be heavy, God, would you help us to give them over to you that our yoke and burden might be light? Would you take these issues and concerns and worries and emotions in our heart that might be a distraction, would you redeem them and transform them as we come to your word this morning? As Paul says in Ephesians, would you open up the eyes of our hearts that we might come to know 
and see and follow you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing to you, for you are our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Oftentimes, when we use the word seeking, we sort of mean someone who's sort of vaguely open to the idea of a spiritual reality. But today, and as we think about these thresholds, we mean something a little bit more specific than that. We mean something more specific than spiritual, but not religious. We mean someone who actually has come to this spot where they really want to seek God and understand who Jesus is. They've they've not said yes yet. But it's more than sort of just like this vague spiritual openness. There's there's actually something that's curious, that's driving, that creates wonder in the actual person of Jesus Christ. And in, in this book and in the way we're talking about seeking today especially, seeking usually is a relatively short amount of time maybe six months at the most. And and the reason why is because seeking Jesus in this way is exhausting. If you've ever been a seeker, if you've ever been the one who's really diligently trying to figure out if you should say yes to this, going through all of the steps and the wonderings and the learning, you, you know how tiring it can be. So this seeking usually has a short, intense time And it has a definite conclusion where people say yes to Jesus or they say no to Jesus. And as we say and as we think about the seekers who who are in our midst today, I I, want to just say some things to you. If you're not a seeker, I actually think much of what I say to do really still applies. So stay with me. But especially if you're a seeker and you're sort of in that intense time, or maybe you've been in it before and you pulled back and you're in another period of just wondering, maybe I need to get serious about this. I I want to say three things to you today. Three things to you especially. And if you're not a seeker, you said yes to Jesus, I think these still work for you too. Here's the first thing that I want to say to you. The the very first thing I want to say simply is be present. Be present in your seeking. Actually, be in a relationship with someone who already has said yes to Jesus, someone who's already a follower. If you you want this process for you to be able to to do true seeking, you're you're not going to be able to do it in a closet by yourself. We want to be like these individual automatons, but we're not. See, following Jesus is not a religion. It's actually a relationship. And to seek to know and understand who Jesus is, it it actually makes sense that we should be doing that with someone else. We should be present with other people as we seek to understand the shape of what it actually means to to follow Jesus. I haven't yet, it hasn't happened yet uh, all, all morning. So maybe it's happened here. Maybe one of you is this one person. But as far as I know, Everyone who's ever found themselves and their hearts and their imaginations compelled by Jesus, there's in every single case, someone's responsible for that. Over and over and over again, over the five weeks that we've had this series already, there's um, 
People have come up and they've shared their testimony. They've shared an important person or persons who, who walked them through this threshold to saying yes to Jesus. I know of only one person who completely on his own read the Gospel of Matthew and said yes. Literally did not have another relationship with a Christian that he would, thought was compelling. He, he just read the Gospel of Matthew on his own and said yes. If that's you, I, I want to know that story. Because that's an amazing way that God has uniquely, I think, decided to work in your life. But the more usual pattern is that we simply are present with other people who actually have already said yes to Jesus. We see it over and over and over in the Bible. The disciples themselves, in each of the opening chapters of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, we see that someone comes up to Jesus and says something like, Hey, where are you going? And they're never alone, almost. And, and uh, Jesus always says, well, come, follow me. Let's be together a little bit. And fair warning, I will make you fishers of people. Come, follow, fish. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, there's these two people who are walking away from Jerusalem. They've heard that Jesus has risen. They just don't believe it. They're totally heartbroken at his crucifixion. And they're walking, and there's this third guy that kind of comes in their midst and starts walking through the hope of the Messiah. And they get to their destination, and they stop to have supper, and, and this stranger breaks this bread, and they realize Jesus is real. And the one who's in their midst disappears. They're present to one another in their discovery. We started this series with this story of this um, deacon named Philip and this uh, Ethiopian. And, and we see that they go on this journey together for quite a while until the Ethiopian finally sees some water and says, Hey, I see there's some water. I should be in on this. It happens together. They're present to one another. If you're a seeker, or if you know a seeker, the, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to be present. We don't do this alone. I have lots of important mentors and people in my life, but I've, I've shared with you that my, my, my seeking was pretty short and intense, and it was largely because of this man named Larry Brown, who was one of my youth leaders at that time in that church. I was a senior in high school, and one of the students he was mentoring, and my um, up-the-street neighbor, a uh, student named Scott Pearson. There's almost always someone involved. And if you really want to get a picture of what it's going to be like to follow Jesus, be present. Be with someone who actually is following Jesus. He's personal. He's not an, an idea. He's not an intellectual in that way. He's a person worth getting to know, worth having company with. And that requires being relational from you. So if you really are a seeker and you really want to sort of sink the sort of drink the dregs down of everything of what it might mean to be a Jesus follower yourself, first be present. Here's the second thing. Be simple. Be simple. So here's what I want you to know, and Christians get this wrong all the time. I get this wrong all the time. 
pretty soon I start trying to find, I find myself trying to follow Jesus. And you know what ends up happening? I end up creating a whole bunch of things I need to do. I keep on layering a whole bunch of expectations. If, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to stop doing this and start doing this and stop doing this. And all of a sudden, I have a habits list that's about two pages long. If I really am going to be serious about this, I think to myself, well, what's going to end up happening is, is I'm going to end up sort of layering all this really intense religious activity. But friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that following Jesus is a hard way, but also a simple way. If you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know this passage from Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what's required. If you grew up at a certain time as a Christian, you now have a song stuck in your head where you sang that song. He has shown me. A lot of us don't really know about verse 6 and 7, though, do we? And in the book of Micah, Micah is, uh, the voice of the Lord is calling people back to relationship with him, to, to be back with him, to be connected to him, to, to come back and to seek his face. And it's hard sometimes to catch because the, prof, the um, prophets often figure assume we're going to just figure out the voice, but 6 and 7 are actually the voice of the people. Here they are. Here's verse 6 and 7. And with what shall I come before the Lord? If I'm going to seek him, how will I bow down before the exalted God? What will I do? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I even offer my firstborn as a sacrifice for my transgression? Shall I give the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Do you see what they've done? We do it too. We take the call to follow God and to be in a relationship with Him, and we turn it into a list of rules, rules we're never going to be able to follow or keep. Now, theirs are all sort of related to sacrifice and religion and, and idolatry. Yours are all related to religion and sacrifice and idolatry. You have the same impulse as it turns out. You have this list of things you feel like you must do if you're going to know God and be in relationship with God. It's a different list. We don't really pour out rivers of oil anymore. We don't um, sacrifice calves. We certainly don't sacrifice babies. But it's a list. And Micah says to us, all of us, no, no, you, you're missing the point. He's, he's already shown you what's required. If you're seeking, if you're seeking to actually build a life and construct a life that that looks like you're seeking to know and follow God, he's shown you what's required. He's shown you to love mercy, walk humbly, love, do, sorry, do justly, love mercy, 
walk humbly with God. Are you carrying some baggage with you about what Christianity is supposed to be about? Set aside the things that you hear in the news. Set aside the the awful headlines of the awful Christian leaders who say the awful things. They're still in process. Set those things aside. Remove the baggage. Do you, know, do you want to know what it's going to look like when you seek to follow God? You're, you're going to find that you're going to be doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. Just be simple. As you find yourself seeking this God, and you, you seek this simple elegance of following God, what you're going to find out is this, is you'll be oriented to people in a, in a whole new way. You're going to find your desire is going to be to sort of gently encourage, admonish, shape your friendships. You're going to find your imagination fired for the possibility of what a world of justice might look like. You'll find your heart sort of shifting in a way that's not just about you and your success. Just be simple. Do justice when you find yourself in a fight. Love mercy when you could be the one who punishes. Walk humbly. You'll find yourself walking in a way that's somehow simultaneously more humble and more confident. If you find yourself doing what's called for here in Micah, you'll find yourself simultaneously being much more confident about who you are, what you've been made for, who you are in relationship with, and simultaneously more humble about it. You'll be confident because of the Lord that you walk with. And you'll be humble because of the Lord that you walk with. Do justly Love mercy, walk humbly. See, at the end, what you'll find out in the middle of all this is that God's love is simply enough. So if you're a seeker, be present. Be simple. And this last one's going to be kind of tricky for you, I think. Be external. Be external. You see, I want you to know that actually following Jesus has real consequences. People are often worried. If I start following Jesus, I'm really worried I'm going to be different. I'm really worried he's going to sort of like get in there and mess my life up. He is going to do that. He is. Just ask these messengers. He's going to get in there and sort of like tinker. And as you're seeking and you're sort of wondering, can I do this? I'm going to just tell you to actually live the life that you're hungry for. To actually seek to do it. To externalize the things that actually look like the Christian life. See, before I was a Christian, 
I, I had no idea how to pray. I had to learn how to pray from others. It was probably in a small group with Scott and a couple other people for several months before I found myself seeking to learn how to try to address this God that I was still seeking after. I had to sort of externalize and learn how to be angry with someone in a holy way. Probably more important, I had to learn how to forgive when I'd been wronged. Externalize this thing that you're seeking for. Colossians 3 uses this uh, metaphor of clothing, which is why I took off my sport coat the last time. I'm sorry, I didn't think about that. It just happened. And Colossians 3 is this first Bible passage that I first learned uh, to, to memorize. That's what we did in that small group, was did some scripture memory. And in the middle of what it's like to actually follow Jesus, Paul is saying it's actually going to shape and change the contours of your life. He says, look, now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Clothing language. Here it is. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, be dressed in love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. See, for the, for the seekers in the room, I just want you to know something. It's going to be good for you to try these things on before they're yours. So why don't you just go ahead and take off some of that stuff that's sort of wearing you down, that's a burden for you that just actually doesn't fit. You know it doesn't fit. Take it off. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. That's the section before. What if you just, what if you, what if you actually did take those things off? See, externalize this seeking. It's, it's not going to happen. It's not all going to happen inside your head. I love how um, finding my phone has changed since I got my watch for Christmas. This is all I do. I just do this. Whoops. This is all I do. I do this. Now listen, you're going to find it. Come on, bring it up. There it is. There's my phone. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, so here's the thing, friends. When you're a seeker, it's not all going to come to you. You don't just press a button and magically start living the life. Now, you have Christ already. That you don't even have to press a button for. 
but learning how to externalize what's already true of you in Jesus Christ. Learning how to live in a visible way what God has already done with your heart and your soul. That takes some intention. And if you're a seeker, why don't you just try it on and see what it's like to be forgiving? Why don't you try it on and find out what it's like to, to um, exercise forbearance for someone else? To be patient and kind. Just try it on. Externalize what can already be true of your heart. I actually think this little list of advice, be present, be simple, be external, fits for those of you who are already followers in the room. might change a little bit for you, but it still works. So if, you, if you're a seeker in the room, you, you know. You know you're a seeker, and you know I'm talking to you. Be present. Be simple. Be external. But if you've been walking the walk for a while, just using those same three steps, what do you need to do next? Do you need to be present to someone? Without being nervous or weird or frightened, you just need to simply be present to someone in your life who seems to be seeking or even spiritually curious. If you've already been walking with the Lord for a while, do you need this to be simple? Have you taken the life, pardon me, of following Jesus Christ, and have you, have you turned it into this huge, complex thing you can never actually accomplish? As a Jesus follower, do you find yourself more guilty than relieved at being a Christian? If you feel more guilty than relieved at being a Christian, friends, you have not picked up the simple call of Jesus Christ. Do you need to just be simple? Walk humbly with God. Or do you need to externalize your faith? You've been at this for a while, and what you, one of the things you've learned about being at this for a while is it's a lot easier to go along and kind of bury in stuff what seems to be external and beautiful about Christianity. You can, it's a lot easier to sort of get along with your friends and co-workers, and maybe even in your family, students, fellow students, to sort of bury it underneath so they don't know. Do you, so the next thing for you to do is to actually be much more bold and external about the shape and the contours of your faith in Jesus. What do you need to do? Be present, be simple, be external. Let me give you just a few moments of silent reflection as I invite uh, Tom up to share his testimony. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Good morning. All right, how high do I need this? I've never used one of these. All right, okay. Um, first, I just want to say thank you for... Um, 
so happy to be part of this community. My, it's been a huge support for myself and my family. Uh, for, those of the, um, for those of you who don't know me, um, which I think is pretty few these days, which is what's awesome about being in this community. It just feels so good. Um, but I'm that guy that broke his neck, but I'm not here to talk about that today. Um, but if you're ever wondering, I, I'm that guy. Um, and uh, I'm a current elder, uh, former core group leader, been involved in uh, men's ministry for about 10 years. Um, mother is currently, she's been a Christian author for a while. Um, my grandfather, Carl, was a, uh, <coughs> a pastor for 20 years in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay, um, until 1968. That was a really interesting time, <coughs> 1968, um, and that period of the Vietnam War. Um, I ended up being born in Vancouver, actually, as a, as a result um, of Vietnam War. My mother... Uh, had to, that period of time was very tumultuous, and I was kind of born into this. I was just thinking about this earlier. It wasn't included in the earlier services, because I was really, I look at it as I was born into this um, time of kind of exile, in that I was born in Vancouver. We, were, we had been up there because of uh, conscientious objectors, my parents were. But then also my, my grandfather was, le was leaving the church around that time in 1968, 69. So my, my mother's reality as she knew it um, as a daughter of a pastor for her whole time growing up with had kind of fallen into pieces where he was all the social upheaval 1968 time period um, was uh, you know led to uh, him uh, leaving the church we end up up in Vancouver uh, I, I'm born there I become part of the Anglican we become part of the Anglican church at that point uh, very close Anglican church family my mother divorces in 1970 six when I was four, and she and I come back to the States. Once again, kind of this exile situation, um, drifting, because she's also kind of, it's a hard thing to reconcile with her father at that same time, because her faith during that period has gotten stronger, more reliant on God as an adult, and her father's has been drifting away. And so really when we came back to the Bay Area, uh, me as a four-year-old, there was a, uh, we were really, uh, didn't have much of a support network. Um, so anyways, that's the precedent for this story, my written story, that I want to begin now. Thank you. All right, so, a cold late Friday afternoon, 2007, I was driving a familiar drive to an unfamiliar destination. My mind was uncomfortably racing second-guessing and regretting the commitment I had made. I was on my way to my first men's retreat. God was most certainly to blame for this. Lord, help me understand why I'm doing this. Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> you see, the beginning of 2007 marked the beginning of a sixth straight year of grinding. I was officially committed to the rat race, the American dream, we had recently made it to our 10th wedding anniversary, a serious achievement. We had come out of the trenches alive, but the spark and shared passions that originally brought us together had taken a back seat to our wild yet adorable two and four-year-olds, two dogs, 25 employees. The train was moving at full speed. All my chips were in. I was tired. My tank was running on empty. I'd never felt this way. God had always been my trusty co-pilot. He'd never let me down, 
and it was sitting right where I'd put him, in the back seat. He was the perfect co-pilot. I was a captain, and my most important rule was no backseat driving. He seemed totally okay with that. So the way I saw it was, God, I've got this. But if I do make a mistake, which you know I will, I know you've got it. You taught me so much as a kid, caring for me and my mom, the way you did as we moved year after year from one apartment in school to another around San Francisco's East Bay. Our apartments changed, but Lord, you were always there. My father was absent, but Lord, you were always there. I remember your presence was undeniable, remarkable, powerful. The way you weaved your angels into my nomadic, fatherless childhood story. My godfather Fritz, for example, a bohemian, a poor artist, your servant who lived in a seemingly magical existence atop a narrow, rickety old building in Vancouver's Chinatown. Remember the countless magical letters and storybook sketches that he would send me? The way that he would weave together C.S. Lewis, A.A. Milne, with your gospel to convey words of encouragement, of encouragement, hope, his latest church family news, fantastical storytelling with his favorite cast of fictional uh, characters, Winnie, Jigger, Piglet, Eeyore. Lord, was that you? The impact that God made on me at such an early age in life was so great that when I finally got my driver's license, I was perfectly comfortable assigning him the backseat co-pilot position. I'd been an acolyte. I'd attended church camps. I'd, I'd been blessed. A great, we had a great working relationship, and I had done my tour of duty. It was time for me to put the pedal to the metal and see where this road goes. Well, it was a windy long road, a little over 20 years long, 20 years wandering, untethered, without spiritual intention, direction, worn down, tired, my gas tank empty. The road led me straight into the parking lot of the YMCA of the Rockies. Six years earlier, Missy and I had decided to begin attending First Pres on Sundays. And every Sunday, I listened to the gospel, the praise, the worship. I witnessed the joy, the enthusiasm, and the intention that God had put on the hearts of those around me. My heart ached. Slowly, a new awareness began to, sleep, to seep. A new awareness of my brokenness, stubbornness, incompleteness, my separation, my loneliness. God was at work. Something needed to change. I was seeking. But my worst fears were about to come true. My special, cozy and relation, my special cozy relationship with God was about to be dramatically shattered. I remember thinking, the minute I walk through those doors, there will be no turning back. My weekend would be gone. My freedom will be gone. Over 100 men were in there. Men who, over six years in the church, I successfully remained disengaged and unknown to. It was a huge triumph. I was about to blow it. Men who I observed in our Sunday worships that seemed to have that thing that I did not, that thing that just deep down I'm missing. I'm not good enough to be with these guys, I thought. I'm not ready to give up my private relationships with God, I thought. I'm not ready to open up, to submit, to be vulnerable, to share. I was nervous, full of doubt. But God pushed me out of my truck and through the doors of the YMCA. Somehow, I had relinquished the controls I was no longer the captain. 
I walked into a large room full of men, standing in rows, worshiping in song. I was the first lar- it, was, it was the first man-only large sing-along I'd ever heard, <laughs> which is unique. Deep, harmonic voices, a few hands raised towards the sky. I wiped a tear from my eye. What are you doing, Lord? Why am I crying? What is all this pent-up emotion? That weekend, I not only met and worshipped with an amazing group of men, through worship and fellowship, the Holy Spirit washed over me like a tidal wave. Pride opened my heart. It's time, he said. Poured himself into the void, a void 20 years in the making. It was hard, it was emotional, it was powerfully beautiful, all at the same time. I'd never felt anything like it. I had given up control. A new journey had begun. There was no going back. For so long, I had thought that God had given me his best and his only gifts in my childhood. The gift of a strong faith in him. Little did I know that his best gift was yet to come. A new walk with Jesus, fellowship, and worship with like-minded believers here at First Press. And thank you for that.